0: Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Time to get lit on literature.
1: Yes! So exciting. This is a book that we read a while ago A while ago. I know. We've been sitting on this one. We've let it marinate, as they say. (laughs) And what's really exciting about this book is that I think it's a very polarizing book. There that's are people what, that's who told me. love it. There <laughs> are people who really hate it. I, I would say I hate the ending okay. more so than anything else. So, this is going to be an interesting discussion. And then, we also know that a film just came out, right? The movie based yes, on this book, where the crawdads sing. We have not watched it, but we're keen to hear from all of you, those of you who have watched it and want to give us your opinion on the adaptation. And we can make that a kind of separate part of the conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. as we move a forward.
0: Bonus. yeah, because you know that movies always change the book, like yeah. without a doubt. You never get a straight up, you know.
1: I'm that bitch that <laughs> always says the book is better because it you is. Pick it apart because it is. The book is always better. I can't say that definitively in this case because no, I have you not seen, seen it. the movie. <laughs> Eventually, I will. I have a very deep seated fear of movie theaters. So, when I can watch this in the comfort of my own home, Uh, I will do that. Yes, I prefer my home. Yeah, the theater is not really my place, it's not my favorite place on earth. So When we have the time, we will, (laughs) I think, pop another bottle of champagne as we're drinking now and we can watch it on your couch, Alexa. Definitely. I think that's the way to go. (laughs) And uh,
0: before we get into the book, we are pairing where the Crawdads sing with Laurent Perrier uh, Cuvée, uh, their Brut Cuvée.
1: We went fancy.
0: Fancy. And it's uh, delicious. And I'll get more into the details later.
1: And just just for everyone who's listening... (laughs) Alexa also has the glasses that say <laughs> Laurent Perrier on them, and so we're drinking them in this, like, really fancy way. I feel very – this is just, like, the right way to do a Saturday afternoon, Oh, totally. I feel.
0: It's perfect. And I'll talk about glassware later, too. Yes. So you guys have more, more tips and tricks on that.
1: That's super exciting because I, you, you've never talked about that before. No. And I think a lot of people are really curious – about exactly that you know why you choose one glass over another and and the differences and especially when you're thinking of champagne Mm -hmm. and I do know one thing I hope this impresses you but I do know that coupes are really just because they're sexy there's like no purpose right yes you're right I knew that I knew that (laughs) so we can do the Gatsby thing you know if we ever feel like we want to look that much fancier Fancier. but (laughs) we'll get into the champagne which is delicious and so that means that we're going to be drinking it fast and this yeah, conversation this will time. get loose <laughs> but overall i mean what were your what were your thoughts on the book did you are you one of those people who loves it are you one of those people who hates it let's just like knock Put that one out, out there yeah
0: i loved the book i thought it was very it was beautifully written I could picture everything in detail that the author um, wrote down for us to to envision in our minds I love the main character I felt I felt for her in a lot of different moments I had a lot of empathy for her and her family and the struggle and I I loved the ending which might be controversial but I don't really care
1: I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I totally agree. I absolutely loved this book. I loved the ending also. And for those of you who haven't read it, if you do want to read it, this is a good moment for us to tell you that we are going to discuss spoilers. It's not something we usually do, but we feel that this is such a plot-driven book Mm -hmm. that I think it's necessary. So if you want to read it or you want to watch the movie... Now might be a good time to pause. Maybe come back to this episode yeah. later. <laughs> go, but if you've forward. read it, you know if you've read it, or you or you don't mind the spoilers and you rather read it kind of knowing what's going on, then you know by all means uh, stick stick with us, right? But I I agree. I think that the book was really really beautifully written. I think that that was the strength, as 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 you said, the descriptions mm-hmm. of of the shack and of the main character and where they live. So this is the story of young Kaya Clark who is essentially abandoned in her home, which is really more of like a kind of forest shack. Yeah, uh, you could, yeah. Right, yeah. that's how forest they shark. say it yeah. in the book. Um they this is a family who's um you know they're very poor. They live in this shack outside of town. This is the 60s in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And her mother ends up leaving because the father is incredibly abusive and then one by one the children start to leave as well as they get old enough. I believe she was the youngest yeah. of a, I think it was six children. Was a ton of children. A ton of children yeah. and so she ends up staying in the shack after her dad kind of comes in and out for a few years and then eventually just disappears. And yeah. at that point, she's kind of raised herself, I would argue. She yeah. knows how to make a, a very basic meal. She knows how to gather the equipment that she needs in order to kind of sustain a very basic yeah. life. Go
0: fishing, catch things. Like, yeah, just based chores the very around the basic, house. basic.
1: Yeah. And so we I think we empathize with her from the very beginning. We are put in a position as a reader to, I think, face a really harsh reality. The family is so broken. The father is so physically and emotionally abusive, leading the mother to leave and leading the mother to leave her children behind, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's a whole element of the book as well. And we'll talk about that because this concept of like being better... Alone than in bad company is a huge theme in the book, so we're definitely going to dive into that. Ranger. But as readers, we're I, I think we're put in a really tough spot. It's it's a really tough book in that sense. But Kaya is a really inspiring character, and she finds a way forward, and she's just really amazing. She's resilient, and she works hard, and it's not until some kind of outside forces as you said see her for who she mm-hmm. is and she's given opportunities that i don't think she would have ever imagined right no, so at all. So that's really kind of the gist of it. Um, A lot happens. So much. (laughs) A lot happens. But she one of of the first characters that I want to talk about because I can't help myself and because I love this character so much is Tate. Tate is such a cutie. Tate is the sweetest thing. So Tate was friends with... Kaya's older brother, Jody, who does leave at one point, right? Leaving her behind. I believe he was the last brother to leave. Yeah, the last one to go. And he was friends with Jody and knew who Kaya was, knew her since she was very young. Yeah, saw
0: her grow up.
1: Exactly. So I think had a certain bond with her or felt a certain empathy and compassion towards her. And he shows up to the shack after a few times of kind of loosely running into each other. And he offers to teach her how to read.
0: That was so sweet when he offered. I'm like, oh my God. It's so cute. she doesn't even make it through a day of school. Right. Social services come to try to make her go to school and she lasts a whole day because everyone was calling her, you know, swamp rat and this and that. Yeah. And yeah. And she
1: gets really her. good at hiding yes. from the social worker. And uh, she gets really good at essentially dodging all of these things that are supposed to be required of her, but instead she finds, I think, peace and solace. Mm-hmm by living by herself and by living this life that to some people sounds really horrible and and I'm definitely one of them, but I see how weaving that with this idea of like better alone than in bad company, that the book is really successful in pushing that narrative forward, I think.
0: definitely. And she's very smart. She's very driven herself to, first of all, just to survive in the marsh by herself, but then also once he offers the lesson of reading, She's very driven to to read and she like devours all the books he brings. She just like gets everything quickly. And she's a really smart girl who didn't have the opportunities that could have afforded her a very different life.
1: And that is a metaphor for something that me and you talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. Just feeling like our perfect world would mean that everyone has the opportunity to propel themselves forward with the gifts that they were given or with the opportunities that they choose for themselves. And so Kai is kind of a metaphor, I think, for so many young children who don't make it out of poverty or Mm -hmm. who find themselves in incredibly difficult circumstances through no fault of their own and who are brilliant and who have so much potential and so much capacity and don't ever find the opportunity that's going to work for them. Right. I mean, she, she does. Right. And so spoiler, uh, but we know that she does successfully publish a few books, Mm -hmm. right. Because she becomes a sort of marsh swamp expert. Yeah, she knows the landscape better than anyone. And that's something to note as well that I think that the landscape is very much a main character in this in this mm-hmm. book. It's not just Tate and Jumpin who we will get to and his wife Mabel and Kaya and Jody and Chase. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but I think the landscape is this really incredible character because it comes alive. It has a personality. It has wrath, it has anger, it has peacefulness right it becomes this like companion i think at one point she's nature is described as her mother yeah or something Something, right yeah no and definitely between
0: you know all the different animals and creatures she goes every day and feeds the seagulls she it's part of her family it's like she created her own community within that nature and within the swamp so it's almost like even though she's alone she's not really alone right
1: Big big Red, right? Yeah, yeah. Big Red. That's the name of the sequel. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so it, the, the, the story for me starts, of course, with the obvious, you know, she's left in the shack and you get a lot of family background. But the story for me starts really when she starts to learn how to read, when yeah. Kate teaches her to read. They have this area called the reading shack, which is like a little tiny shack away from her home where they meet so that no one will find them essentially because she was running away from like the truancy officer and you know, all that. They have a little reading shack and he teaches her very basic things and brings her books that he already used and studied from school. And so she becomes, I think like self-taught in so many ways Mm -hmm. and she becomes this really brilliant kind of silent advocate for the Marsh and knows the Marsh better than anyone else. And in the midst of all of this, you kind of start to ask yourself, you know, what kind of support system does she have apart from nature, apart from Tate? Because no one can actually live with with just what we've described. And that's where Jumpin' comes in. Yes, he's so fun. He is the best. Jumpin' is another character that I just like fell in love with. So he is this really kind black man mm-hmm. who works at, like, a small store where she could get gas for her boat. And they sold all sorts of, like, other little, little things. Little things here and there. He'd, um, he'd buy a
0: fish and oysters and mussels from people. So through that relationship and her needing things and, and needing to sustain herself, they were able to strike a deal with her bringing him mussels. Mussels, yeah. Mussels and different things and jumping in his wife, Mabel really took her under their wing and and cared for her from afar.
1: And Mabel becomes this really important figure because she goes to her when she gets her period for the first time. And so Mabel is the one who explains to her what I think is one of the most uplifting and important uh, messages in the whole book. And she says to her, you need some girlfriends, hun, because they're forever, without a vow. A clutch of women's, the most tender, most tough place on earth. Oh and i think mabel is is the kind of personification of that of that safe space for women in the book mabel is able to get a lot of clothes and a lot of supplies from her church mm-hmm. to help kaya and this is this is a, an interesting part of the conversation that i really want us to dive into because mabel Lives in colored town. Right? Yeah. They call it colored town, right? With, obviously, jump in. And so they go to a black church. The kids go to a black school. So there is segregation. Yeah, there is this, 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 this very obvious, I think, kind of racial um, message here, mm-hmm. which is the white folks from the town that look like Kaya rejected Kaya and never did anything to help her. And it was the black family and it was the black church that did everything that they possibly could to give her as much resources as they could given the fact that they didn't have very many resources of their own.
0: They had nothing and they still wanted to help her and support her and give her things. It's just, it's,
1: it's heartbreaking. It's horrible. (laughs) Horrible and, and, And at the beginning of the book, there's a little map that shows you where the town is Mm -hmm. where colored town is where kaya's shack is and so it gives you a sense and i found myself referring back to that little map kind of picturing it every once in a while yeah yeah, because she's like oh and i went up to colored town and she takes the boat and the marsh and so you kind of get this sense and and i think that the addition of the map was really smart because it allows you to envision it the the reading nook and all (laughs) that yeah i was like oh okay so the reading nook is like kind of far away and it's over here you know like it just all kind of made more sense right because it's I think very hard for someone, city cats like ourselves, to understand, (laughs) you know, what a marsh looks like and how you
0: navigate through one. No, especially I was even, I'm like, wait, so she's at the beach now, but she was in the marsh. I guess the marsh leads out to the ocean and the beach. I'm like, I don't, I don't know things
1: about topography apparently. Same. I was like, okay, I'm going to rely on this map. (laughs) And when you see that these really wonderful, kind people jump in and Mabel and their church that they're willing to help her. That to me was really touching. Mm-hmm. And they become a really important main character throughout the book, especially Jumpin. I mean, Jumpin' yeah. I think is her lifeline in so many ways, not just in terms of resources, but I think also emotionally. Um, and he's the one that when the police come looking for her, mm-hmm. and we're gonna get to we'll that. Get there. When the police come looking for her, it's jumpin'. That kind of tips her off and looks at her. And it was too late at that point. They had seen her and they chased her down. But he tried. He tried. He always had her best interest at heart. And he knew all along that Kaya was living in that shack alone. He did. And she tried to deny it. She was like, oh, yeah, my dad. Yeah, he's, he's around. Yeah, he says hi. Things like that. But really, everyone knew. Everyone who was paying attention knew that this was just an abandoned child. Yeah. And that's, to me, like, really... It's heartbreaking. Always heartbreaking yeah, yeah. every time I go back and 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 think about that specifically. But I think that jump in for that reason plays such a central role. He's mm-hmm. like the personification of compassion, of understanding, of yeah. empathy, the father of kindness she didn't have. Yes. The father
0: she didn't have.
1: Yes. And one of the other major themes in the book is abandonment, Oof. right? And just rejection as as a as a major conversation point in the book. And We were just doing this before we started recording. We started basically listing everyone who either abandoned (laughs) or rejected Kaya. Mother within the first couple of pages. Mother within the first couple of pages. So you're like, what the fuck? Like, oh my God. Like, you're like, it can't get worse than this. And lo and behold, it absolutely does get worse than that. But the father eventually leaves. And the father had created a bit of a bond with her. So it, it, it stung, you know, for me. Yeah, it's
0: like he... He was always a horrible father and, and abusive and screaming and drunk. And then finally he came back, kind of got shit together a little bit. A little bit. little taught bit. Taught her how to use the boat and fish more and kind of, it, it was a, a moment. You're like, oh, maybe he can change. And then he doesn't. He and then he doesn't
1: too. <laughs> and then he doesn't. And then you're like, oh, okay, here we go again. And then of course all her siblings leave. And then Jody, who is the, you know, the, the last one, yeah. the last sibling to leave, but before the dad, just to be clear. And then, of course, she's rejected by an entire town. The whole
0: town. Whenever she goes into town, she would go into the grocery store, I believe, to get yes. like toothbrush or whatever little things. And she had some banter with the checkout lady, but she'd ask, oh, are you here alone? And mm-hmm. everyone kind of knew. And no one really cared for her. No one gave a shit. They looked at her like, like she was trash. They
1: called her swamp trash. Yeah. And there was one scene where... After she went to eat with her dad at the diner, she's waiting outside, and she gets close to this little girl who comes and says hello, and the mother comes and pulls the yes. little girl away and is like, don't talk to the swamp trash. You know, like, this is how she's how she's treated. And so she's abandoned, of course, by her family, and then rejected mm-hmm. by an entire society, the only society and group of people that she's yeah. ever known. And the woman at the cash register at the supermarket is an interesting character because here, she sort yeah. of then comes comes out at the end as a, a bit of a, he- not a hero, that's like being way like, too kind. Not an advocate or a mini supporter. Yeah. I mean, in the trial, which we'll get to, mm. she essentially supports Kaya. Yeah. And is working with or as a witness for the defense. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up being an interesting character. But what I think is 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 really tough to swallow, I think, in this book is, you know, if you're someone who just has a hard time reading about, Rejection and abandonment. Like if this is a triggering subject for you, I think this book is it might maybe be. a little bit much. It
0: might not be the book for you. <laughs> yeah,
1: it might be a little bit much. I, I I think that even like someone like me who's like not like that doesn't really trigger me. Like it still felt just like a lot. It's bet. like it's an exhausting read, but at the same time, the way that it's written, every chapter ends with you wanting to know what the hell is about to happen, and so you kind of like devour it at least I did we read it really fast yeah very fast the
0: abandonment that broke me was Tate when he went to school (sighs) and never came back (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) so through um, their lessons and them bonding Kaya and Tate Began kind of a a mini romance love story.
1: They fall in love, Alexa. They fall in love. But then why did he do that to her? Exactly. (laughs) And that's when I go on like my rant where I'm like, all men are trash. (laughs) They're terrible. You can't trust them. (laughs) They will never live up to what you need. Let them go. Dump him. Dump him. That's where that Maritza (laughs) starts to come out. But it was so hard for me to be that. Because I loved him as a character so so much. When he did that, I was so
0: pissed yeah he essentially so they they she almost lost her virginity to him yeah in the swamp at some point whatever he got accepted into college and promised that he would come back and visit her all of the time weeks go by they would be together eventually yeah weeks go by months go by
1: eventually four years go by and And he was like like, I'm not watching her, but like they lived in close proximity where if they were both using the marsh or they were yes, both on the marsh, they, they could kind see. of see each other from a distance. And so you know that there are moments when he has seen her and for she sure. has seen him and they don't approach. And it's just like at that point, she feels yet again, obviously yeah. abandoned by this guy who told her that he would come back for her. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to say, I would never defend a man. I would never, under any circumstance, defend a man. I don't think I ever have. But I will say this. I think that he was afraid of the two worlds sort of colliding. Because he wanted a better life for himself. And he saw college as an opportunity to leave the marsh. And he saw it as an opportunity to to, to try something new. Mm. And that she could come with him. That was really the initial vision. And then when he went out into the world, he realized that maybe that was not going to work for her. Yeah. And he didn't go about it the right way. No, he never he had a conversation. Had conversation. He never told her how he felt. He never approached her. He didn't come back on July 4th like he said he would. And that's where the mistake is. But I don't think that his intention was to abandon her. I don't think that his intention no, was to hurt. Her.
0: I don't think it was malicious. No. I don't think that at all. I think, yeah, that he was afraid and he didn't quite understand how the two worlds would fit because- Obviously he'd want her to go with him and, and live her life and he got a career. He was he wanted to do what was it, marine biology? Marine biology.
1: Mm-hmm. Which fits
0: in perfectly with her interests and in the marsh. So it would have worked out, but yeah, he couldn't picture her in that in the real world outside of of what she knows and loves. And but yeah, he should have sat down and had an honest conversation with her. Fuck it. At least get the girl out into the next town on a bus or in a restaurant or something. Just yeah. to like see how she feels.
1: Yeah, test the
0: waters,
1: and that's the thing, too. Like, exactly. Like, like where was the trial run? Yeah, where was the conversation? Where was and but again, like, they're so young, yeah, they're so young. I think it's easy for me and you in our 30s to be like, just have a conversation. There's nothing scarier (laughs) to an 18 year old than to have a fucking conversation, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, I think that the both of them sort of. Weren't in the right place to even move that relationship sure. forward. And I think that he does eventually more than compensate yes, he does. He does. for he everything does. that happened. And it was Tate who knew of her billions, who knew of all of the amazing study that she was doing in the marsh. And he's the one who puts her in contact with a publisher. And that's how she ends up publishing multiple yeah. books and is able to bring in income. And it was Tate who organized the whole thing. She made bank. She made bank. And she made all these like little renovations and the shack. the shack shack was a home at the end of it. At one point she has like running water, which was like a luxury. And so like you see her and you're like rooting for her and you're like, yes, yes. And that was kind of the best of both worlds for her, right? Because she was able to make money for herself, but live the life that she... At that point she was conditioned to live that life. Yeah, for sure. She wanted to be there. She didn't want to be anywhere else. I think that the rest of the world... Scared her because that was essentially just an opportunity for more people to reject her or abandon her. Yeah. That's how she perceived for sure. the outside world, yeah. at I, least. Yeah, and I don't, I don't blame her. I don't blame her either. <laughs> at yeah, all. And so the other major theme in this, or other major idea that I wanted to discuss is this concept of it's better to be alone than in bad company, right? We see it at the very beginning with the mom leaving because she rather abandon her children her whole family her whole family <laughs> <Like six. laughs> then to stay with this horrible abusive terrible man that's how bad it is that's how bad it is and we later get a few Answers because I think that so many readers wonder as they're going like, through the, the book, fuck? you know, like what the fuck. Like, the mom Does left, that. she left all the kids, like what the fuck? And then you do at least take a couple of answers, <laughs> yeah, like take whichever one's fit in your bag, yeah. But like, <laughs> we get some answers later. Um, we do, yeah. It's it didn't suffice for me though. No, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I felt that it was a little cheap. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't buy the fact that the mother. Went through this, like, horrible moment where she even forgot her kids. And then one day kind of woke to it and realized what she had done and went and, like, spiraled. Like, I don't know. I don't know anything about mental health in a professional sense. I don't know how real or not real that storyline was. Or maybe I just don't like that it was presented to me as something very quick and fast. That's what
0: it was, But it felt cheap. Yeah, it was very fast. It felt like an afterthought. Like, she wrote it as yes. an afterthought of, like, oh, fuck, I just made this mom character that's basically talked about throughout the whole book, and she's a shitty person, but we need to, like, redeem her now at the very end, and how do I do this real quick and wrap it up in a bow? Right. And that was the whole, like, mental breakdown. She forgot she had kids. When she did want to go back to talk to the kids and leave a note, the father found it and burned it and threatened her and said that he'd murder her, murder the kids if, if she did anything. Like Right. Murder, not maybe not murder hurt them. Maybe
1: hurt them. It was it hurt, was hurt murder, them, right? Yeah. Or hurt murder? Them. I don't know. It was something. It, it was something really. It was bad. something
0: tragic as fuck that she's like, I can never go back. I can never contact them. Right.
1: Right. It was something that essentially barred her yeah. from the opportunity. Of, she like, obviously did with her, her kids. them. Hurt. Yeah. 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 So. So it was. It was enough of a reason, but I don't like how it was presented to the reader. Mm-mm. I don't think it was enough. I would have liked actually short. to have known more about the mom. I would have liked to have known more about her life after leaving. What we get is just a few pages, and what we get is kind of secondhand information from Jodi. I know that we have to get it secondhand, yeah, but yeah. I, I think it would have been nice to just have some more information because she's an she's an interesting character. Because in many ways, I think she's probably one of the bravest characters. I mean, second to Kaya yeah. for you to leave your kid. I'm like, okay, this is such a hard thing to like say because I'm not a mom. I don't fucking know. But like, I think it's I think it was really brave, even though awful, that she like left all her kids behind. Like she felt like she was on the verge of like being killed and she was in this like horribly abusive home. And I think it took a lot of guts for her to say, I can't be here, yeah. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll reach out, I'll try and take my kids later. And for her to go. Yeah. I feel like her intention was to always get come back. the kids and come back. Yes.
0: I yes. feel like that was the intention. I, I don't know what the timeline was or I just don't recall in that way. Right. But I feel like that was the intention because she really cared about her kids.
1: Yeah. She was from like the snippets that we get yeah. pre her leaving or the flashbacks. We know that she was a really caring and loving mom. And so... I think I think that she's this like imperfect character that I can't help but empathize with, and and that's just because I think that it's it's hard when you when you read about women that are in situations that are incredibly abusive and manipulative and harmful, and you can't ever not clap for a woman who chooses to leave. And I know there're gonna be people be people who hear this and be like, oh my god. That's ridiculous, absolutely not. You stay no matter what. you you stay with the kids, you help the kids, whatever it may be. But I think that there was plenty of proof that she tried. I think there's plenty of proof in the in the story that she did everything she could to protect the kids while yeah. she was there. And I don't think you can judge someone for the decisions that they make when they are in that kind of environment. Yeah, no, and she and
0: she had a much better life. I mean, she came from a family that had some money. Yes. Not as, like, was it some or a ton? I don't remember.
1: I think it was plenty. I think think that they were pretty, yeah, they were pretty wealthy and they were actually very upset about the fact that she chose to marry this fucking loser. So she, like, left that life to come do this. So it's not like she's
0: afraid of disappointing people or breaking norms or anything, like, at all. So she already did that, moved in the marsh. It wasn't what she expected, but she already had all the kids and a family and this. So to stick it out all that time, even though she could have a perfectly comfortable life back in Louisiana with her family, mm-hmm. and then I mean, I guess everyone has their breaking point. And
1: yeah, that was that exactly? And That's why I do have like I have admiration for her, and I and I think that I that's why I would have wanted to learn more about her. And yeah, we need we need a refill. We, we, need, need, a refill. A we refill. need a refill. We need a refill. Alexa just looked at me like, yo, is this going to make noise? And I'm like, I don't care. I need some more of this delicious bubbly. Can the mic pick up those bubbles? I hope so. I hope so. I hope hope so.
0: So effervescent.
1: I also really need the second glass for the fact that now we're going to talk about Chase fucking Andrews. So we're still on the theme of better alone than in bad company. And this is a good moment for us to have a little conversation about Chase Andrews. Chase Andrews is the stud in town, right? He's mm-hmm. like star athlete. Mister he's a popular. cool kid, you know. <laughs> so, in other words, he's a fucking douchebag, right? <laughs> he's a big douchebag. He's a fucking all douche. The girls. Yeah, total piece of shit. Rich
0: parents. I think his parents own a lot
1: of the town. Yes, yes, yes. It's like. Very stereotypical, yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, we get it. We everyone knows who the Chase Andrews of their town yeah. is. Get it, you're God's gift to earth, exactly. Chase. Exactly, of course. <laughs> and so, Chase is this motherfucker who enjoys kind of conquering mm-hmm. um women and enjoys feeling like he is the coolest cat, right? God's gift to yep. earth, and so to make a very long story short, he does get in contact with Kaya, right? They do run into each other. There isn't a moment where they meet. And he essentially shows interest in her, Mm -hmm. romantic interest in her. And this is a girl who we must forgive her for every bad decision that she makes because she doesn't... Like, she literally doesn't fucking know that. She doesn't
0: know anything. She doesn't know anything. She, she doesn't have any social skills. Apart from, like, skills. animals in the marsh. Yeah.
1: Like, she doesn't fucking know how to deal with shitty fucking men, right? Like No at all. The, 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 that's, just a, that's just a fact, right? But there is, like, a really funny moment in the book where, like, she says, she's like, I do remember, though, that, like, I have sort of reflected on this or I've been taught about this. She says, Kaya remembered many years ago. Ma warning her older sisters about young men who over their rust, <laughs> rusted-out pickups around with radios blaring. And she said, unworthy boys make a lot of noise. So... <laughs> This is a kind of like preface to everything that happens with Chase, right? Chase is that guy. She has this like nice boat, and like would come by the the shack and like hang out with her. But it was always in secret, yeah. And no one knew that they were spending time together. There was there was whisperings of it among some. Like Jumpin kind of knew because he had a view of that area, knew that he was coming in and out. But in reality, it was a it was a very well kept secret, yeah. Purposefully, obviously. By Chase. By Chase. For his double life. Exactly. And sin. Exactly. And so what I what I also really like though is that in the midst of all this shit happening with Chase, where they are spending a lot of time together, they do sleep together. You know, all these all these things yeah. happen. When well, he first tries. Yes, he, that's, that's right. Tries that's and, like right.
0: basically sexually assaults her. Yes. And
1: then yes. and she's like, whoa whoa whoa, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not down. I'm not down." And then he keeps pressuring her yeah. over and over every
0: and over again. Every time they visit, pressure, 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 and then eventually it happens.
1: What a fucking I know asshole. I get I get even more mad every He's time I think about it. Fucking piece of shit. But what I really loved though in the writing is that the author compares Chase and men like Chase to all these different things that happen in nature. Yes. And so we we learn about like all these different types of like animals and bugs and stuff that like know how to, I don't know how to phrase it, but like respond to this kind of thing. And so she even says like nature is audacious enough to ensure that the males who send out dishonest signals go from one female to the next almost always end up alone. And this is like... Biology, right? Yeah, like yeah. she's talking like about the all these different, men. like she talks about a bug that, like the the female kills the male mm-hmm. after they sleep together or whatever. And that's not even the right term. But, but I was I just it was like that, dying, I was that. dying yeah. <laughs> laughing. I was like, of course, like you know, like this is such a funny way of like kind of meshing the very real kind of human element and then yeah. the nature element. But
0: that's probably how she understood
1: what was happening yeah.
0: by reflecting on nature and being like, yeah. I know this happens here. So how is this
1: going to play out with these people I'm meeting? Exactly. Exactly. And, and we also kind of see that when, she's reflecting on why her mom left. She looks into these biology books to see if she can find any example of mothers leaving their offspring, and she can't really find any. And so I think that's the moment where she realizes that humans have this very different capacity to think, right, that we we are different in that sense, that we're not just wired to love our children, that we're actually far more complicated, and Mm -hmm. that there's really no explanation. And so there's this moment where she says, I guess some things can't be explained, only forgiven or not. Mm. And I thought that was a really kind of a nice thing. Yeah. I, I like that thought because I liked, I would like to believe that, yeah, there are some things that can't be explained. No, I don't. You either forgive them or you don't. And you either move forward or you don't. And you decide for yourself what you want your life to be like. But not everything has to make sense. I no. think that – and we've talked about this before. I think that when people try too hard to make sense of things – that's when we get ourselves on the wrong path. Yeah. Just accept things as they are. Make of it what you will, but don't try and... Peg some meaning yes. to it. Sens- or sentimentalize like, it.
0: Yeah, or like, this happened to me because I did this. Right. Or, yeah, just take it for what it is. Something, something happened and there's reactions to it. Right.
1: And, yeah. And so, again, chase becomes, I think, the personification of you're really better off by yourself. Yeah, because this guy is such an absolute piece of shit, and so there's this really heated scene where he sexually assaults her after they've already broken things off. I think at that point she didn't want to see him. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so he runs into her at a beach. He sexually assaults her, almost manages to rape her. Yeah. Um, And she is seen. They're both seen by this boat that's kind of far off, and they see that she's like pulling her pants back up, and so it could be any. It could really be anything. It could have been that it could have been that they just slept together. It could have been that she's running away. Like you can't make sense of no. what you see. And so that's when we get to the Chase Andrews murder. Dun, dun 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 dun. So this is not only a coming of age story. It's not only a love story. It's not only a story of abandonment and rejection and society and a metaphor for the way that we reject those who are different from us. But it's also a murder mystery, Yay! which was my favorite part of the whole book. We know that Chase Andrews is murdered from page one. Yeah, the very beginning. That's how we know. And so there are two kind of timelines where you have the sheriff and and those who are investigating figuring out what's happening with the murder. And then you also have just Kaya's life. Mm -hmm. And so like the chapters sort of alternate. So you you know that you're getting to a point eventually where the two things will collide, they'll merge, and you'll figure out what happened. So there's a trial, right? Because after finding some evidence, they find, I think, um, a piece of her hat, a thread of her hat on his jacket. He's found dead in the marsh, pushed off of, allegedly, the fire tower. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence linking her to the crime apart from that one thread of hat yeah. on his jacket, right? There was no footprints. There was nothing. no this. There no fingerprints. There was no nothing. Nothing at all. And so it becomes this very stereotypical story of, okay, well then let's blame it on the outcast mm-hmm. let's blame it on the one person who none of us give a shit if she spends the rest of her life in prison because she's not one of us exactly
0: her mother chase's mom actually started the witch hunt on yes her because she said bitch. yes such a bitch so while they were dating loosely dating um kaya had given him a necklace with a shell on it and she said that when the body was found the necklace with the shell was gone and that he constantly wore that necklace so it must be her she must be linked and that's how they started right. the witch hunt on her
1: because the mother knew yeah, that they knew. were spending time together he was again always keeping a kind of secret but the mom did know and there were a few yeah. whispers around town that they had a thing but no one made anything of it because it's it sounded more interesting when you kept it a rumor right like exactly, no one made yeah made the actual connection. And so, yeah, absolutely. It was the mom who mentions to the sheriff, hey, you know, this necklace that Kaya made for him, he wore it every day and then suddenly he dies and it's not oh. there? Like, what the fuck, right? So- oh, And he's married at this point too. Yes, that's let's, right.
0: Let's mention that. Like- yes, that's right. He <laughs>
1: decides to marry this girl that he's dating while he's also dating Kaya. But of course, Kaya never comes to town, so she has so no fucking never idea know. that he's like about to get married and it comes out in the fucking newspaper mm-hmm. and she sees it. And that's how she finds out. And that's why she's like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, fuck you. I don't want to see yeah. you ever again. And then again. he came to and assault then, her. And then he came then, to assault yeah, her, And, blah, 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 blah. and that, that's where we are now. Exactly. <laughs> and so my favorite part of the whole book was the trial. Yeah. It was so well written. It was so interesting. It made me feel like I was actually in a courtroom. And what's really cool is that, like, the whole time, the reader, I think – I mean, I don't know, but I think that the reader is like, oh my God, this is so fucked up. They're blaming her for something she didn't do. Yeah. And so the trial, you know, when you're, when you're thinking from the defense's point of view, you're like rooting for the defense, but then you're also kind of paying attention to the prosecutor and you're like, oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm, Whoever murdered Chase obviously did that. Yeah. That makes sense. So the prosecutor's case is really smart. And as the reader, I hate to say this, but you start to doubt. Oh, for sure. You start to doubt Kaya's innocence. You're like, well, Kaya doesn't know the marsh very well. And she would know that the tide <laughs> rises at this time. And so, therefore, any footprints would or, be you missing, know, yeah. you know, or submerged in water. And so, therefore, washed away. Like, so you you become this, like, you know, this, like, fucking forensic files yeah. investigator while you're reading the trial. Because both sides make they, really good arguments. They I do. have to say as a juror, really do. I don't know what I would have done. It could have gone either way. Could have gone either way. It was way. really good. Really fucking good. But the lawyer who takes her case oh. pro bono, this absolute Amazing. angel of a man, he makes the argument at the end, at the very, very end, the closing statement was basically him saying, you know, did she did she do this? Or do you guys all believe that she did this because she's an outsider, mm-hmm. right? And he frames it as Kaya being the real victim. So I want to read a little bit of his statement. He said, yet in reality... She was only an abandoned child, a little girl surviving on her own in a swamp, hungry and cold, but we didn't help her except for one of her only friends Jumpin. Not one of our churches or community groups offered her food or clothes. Instead, we labeled and rejected her because we thought that she was different, but ladies and gentlemen, did we exclude Ms. Clark because she was different or was she different because we excluded her, Ooh, and that's how he ends
0: it. Yes, it was so good.
1: And as a juror, I would have been like, "Fuck yeah, you're right. She's innocent." Yes. Like I would have rallied. We're horrible people. We're horrible. We need I can't to atone. Us. <laughs> Exactly. And so, again, spoiler at this. Spoiler. If you've been hearing us for this long, spoiler. then you then you know. Then you should know. Um, but basically, what happens is that she gets let off the hook. Right, mm-hmm. she's found um, not guilty, and everyone is. Everyone who's reading the book is thrilled, I think, yeah. right? Like I as a reader, you're like, yes, I'm thrilled. This is like, exciting. Yay. And at that point, other spoiler, which is my favorite, she's back with Tate. She's made her money with her publishing. Tate was the, the, the person who helped her do that. Tate comes back into her life. She forgives him rightfully so. And they have this really wonderful relationship. He moves into the shack with her. He's working close by at this like Marine biology center where he's doing research and kind of working alongside her. And so they have this ability to really, um, kind of build a life together based on their interests. Right. And, and their love. And so it's, it's really beautiful. And so at that point you're really, really happy for both of them. And, Unfortunately, Kaya. Yeah. At one point, when she's out um, on her boat, she she spontaneously just passes yeah. away. Yeah,
0: I mean, at this point, they're very they're much older. Yeah, now. I think that she was
1: like sixty something yeah, at that point. They've
0: they've lived decades. Which is and not decades old. Together. That's why I was so but sad back then.
1: Yeah, you're right. Back, back then, then it yeah. was old. Also, like she probably never saw. Bro, she doctor never saw a her doctor.
0: She never probably ever did
1: blood work. She probably never got a teeth cleaned. Blood work. Blood work. <laughs> blood work. I'm like the queen of blood works. I'm like, how can someone not have blood work done?
0: That bitch the for 65
1: years without going to the damn doctor. Yeah, exactly. So she was probably due. But <laughs> it's really sad. She just passes away out of nowhere. And so, Tate, like, it could have been a stroke. could have been a heart could've attack. We don't know, we don't right? Know. But he finds her, unfortunately, and she's passed out. She's passed away in the boat and whatever. And so Tate is, you know, in, in, in the house. He's in the shack. And... And this is the very very end of the book but mm-hmm. he notices that there's this kind of um uneven unevenness yeah, on, the floor, on the floor right and it looked different or uneven or some, something was
0: different yeah. under the stove i think or in yes. that area
1: and he knew that Kaya tended to uh kind of hide things around the house and that she was very private about certain things and yeah. so she she would use the house as a sort of place to hide personal belongings things like that and so he notices that he notices this unevenness on the ground and goes and messes around with it, realizes that he can lift it up, yeah, it's and like that a there little is trapdoor kind of exactly. Thing. There's indeed a little thing, a little secret compartment there. there. And the first thing that he finds is this um kind of clippings, I think, from the newspaper of poems that he that she really loved. And it turns out that she was the poet. She yes. was the person submitting the poems to the local newspaper under a pseudonym and that she would keep them. And that that was her way of kind of communicating with the public, with communicating with her, with her peers, essentially, with them not knowing that it was her. And so we get this kind of full circle moment because the poems are a big part of the book and mm-hmm. she would quote them regularly and she would read them and she really kind of loved them. So that's the first find, which is, which is nice. She's sweet. nice there, and like, dandy. Oh, okay. And then in that same little box, we find... <laughs> The necklace, dun,
0: dun, dun. Chase's fucking necklace,
1: <laughs> and at that point, we know that she murdered his ass. Yes, <laughs> and that's the part that makes this book polarizing as hell. Yeah, exactly. Because the people who don't like this book that I've talked to have said to me, the ending is what pissed me off. Like, fuck the ending. But I don't. But I
0: don't understand because I mean, he was such a piece of shit. And it's yeah. like yeah. It, if anyone treated me like that and and tried to like hurt me and, this, I'd push and that, up like,
1: a I push them like fucking fire tower too. too.
0: Yeah. I push them too. Like if they're doing that to me, who else are they doing that to? Mm-hmm. Like there could be a ton of women that have been I mean, he gave her a fucking black eye, like for yeah, Christ's sake. Like, exactly.
1: That married piece of shit. Yeah. Gave her a black tried eye. Tried to rape tried her. Tried to rape gave her. her a black yeah. eye.
0: And she legit told him, like, if you ever come near me again, I will kill you. I will. That's right.
1: So she warned him. She warned him. She said it verbatim. She gave him warning, if you come near me again, I will kill you. And but he, was he like, did. Ha, ha, ha. And then he came over again, and kill she them. killed him. <laughs> She's a woman. True to her word.
0: Yes. So, I mean, I, I was rooting for her. It's it's odd for me. I mean, I get it. He was murdered, whatever. Um, right. We're not,
1: I just want to make it very clear. We don't condone we murder don't condone of any kind. Murder. But this is a fictional story. And as a very emotional person, I just want to say that I fucking loved the <laughs> ending. I was like, fuck Chase. He deserved it. Piece He's a of piece shit. of shit. He was asking for it. Yeah. I was like, I just, I went full hate chase mode. And that's the thing about this book that I think is powerful is that it makes you kind of realize what your boundaries are, like what your lines are, like what you think is okay and what you think isn't. Like the irony is that like, I will sit here and I will tell you over and over again, the thousand reasons that I believe that capital punishment is wrong. I am anti-death penalty. I mean, you will never change my mind. Right. But then I read this book and I'm like, fuck Chase, I'm glad he was pushed off the fire tower. Like, it just shows you, like, we're, like, we're multifaceted. Like, justice comes to us. We, 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 we define it in ways that I think only fiction can provide. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I know that some people didn't like it because I think that. They hated the fact that they were disillusioned. That's the mm. only reason that they didn't like the ending, in my opinion, because they're rooting for her. She was great. Yeah, she she can't was be on his side. You just can't right. it's if not you're, because if you're reading this. You're exactly. Not on it's his not his side. because they're on his side. It's because they wanted so badly to believe that she really was innocent and that the town really did exclude her and that that's really why they blamed her and that's why she went on trial. But both things can be true. Yeah. They did exclude her. They didn't help her. They did treat her like shit. But she also <laughs> murdered this motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, both things can be true. And I think that that's why I liked the book. Because I was like, this is nuanced. Yeah. If everything would have just ended, oh, she was found she not guilty. She after. lived happily ever after. With Chase, she published three more books. Like, her life is great. Or she died of a stroke on a boat. Good night. Like, I would have been like, okay. Yeah. Like, what was like, what was this? Like, Still a great story, still beautifully written, still enjoyed every second of it. But the fact that at the end of the book, we find out that she's the opposite of what we thought she was, was, then suddenly, I mean, I had like a book, book hangover from this.
0: Oh, I, I, when, when I read that part and the necklace, I like, my, my jaw dropped.
1: I was shook. I was
0: like, what? Shook. And I'm like. I was coming back from Bimini, so I'm on, like, the ferry with a bunch of chaos and crazy shit, and Sean is like, half asleep, and I'm like, oh, my God, and I have, like, tears. I have tears from her dying, and I'm yeah. kind of like, oh, that's the necklace." And he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, "The just the book. It was different than I thought it would be.
1: This isn't what I expected. I thought she was
0: perfect. I didn't think she would I mean, ever it's do fine, this. I'm glad, but, you know. <laughs>
1: no I hear you like that's exactly how I felt it's exactly how I felt and I was like you know what like that's what makes this book so fucking polarizing it's the fact that people don't want to come to terms with the fact that she wasn't a perfect character yeah and that's to me what makes this a, a successful book no, is I when agree. a book can prove that you that, a, that a, the character can be and should be nuanced and imperfect and that we root for them anyway and that the metaphor of all these different things that come up in the book that those things are true too. It doesn't mean that one thing they're not mutually exclusive is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, For sure. And so that's what I enjoyed and that's what I loved about the book. And so I'm curious, you know, we will watch the movie eventually. We'll get back to everybody. We'll probably post on Instagram what our thoughts are of the book. We'll definitely get to that. um, Because I think it's a, it's a very different conversation to have you know, to have a chat about an adaptation. That's just a different conversation. like I wanted like I think that both of us wanted to dive into the story. We wanted to dive into the themes. We wanted to dive into what makes this book tough for some people. But I think that the conversation of a successful adaptation is a very, very different. Oh, conversation. oh, definitely. So we can have that separately. We'll probably do that, you know, through Instagram and get everyone's take. Because I know a lot of people have read the book and watched the mm-hmm. movie. And I think we'll get a lot of opinions. Um, so I'm super curious to hear from from everybody. But for the sake of this episode, we wanted to dive into just how great, you know, this, this book was. Yes. Loved it. It was a good read. I was happy to, to get through that. I was thrilled. So cheers to that. Yes. And now we move on to... Some people's favorite part of the podcast, the the drinking part. So Laurent Perrier. Yes. Delicious. So
0: delish. We are drinking their La Cuvée Champagne. It's the Brut, not the Rosé. And then for this episode, I took my inspiration from the marsh. I thought if I were in the marsh (laughs) eating, you know, crawfish and uh, oysters and mussels and, and, you know, Shrimps and whatever they're catching off the, yeah. the sea, there. What would I want to drink? And I thought, champagne. So I grabbed Laurent Perrier, this fruit champagne, and I thought it was a good wine for it, story wise, food wise, and more. So let's dive in. Um, some may, may or may not know, but uh, Laurent Perrier is the largest family and female owned champagne house in France. So let's do that. Let's give it up for the women. Woo! The women, yeah, and that spoke to me with this story really because it's they have a female driven narrative, and so does Kaya in this story. So it's been around forever, established in 1812. Laurent Perrier has a long tradition of innovation in champagne and can be credited with many of the ideas that have defined champagne production since the mid 20th century. So not only have they been driven by women, but they've been women who are driving innovation, so right creating a lot of the practices we see today. They were among the first to introduce stainless steel fermentation tanks to the region in the 1950s. They resurrected the non-dosage champagne category with the introduction of their ultra-brute in 1981. And they sparked the revival of non-vintage rosé champagne, despite... During that time, producers weren't really hip to it and they weren't taking that seriously. They didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And they did it anyway. As women tend to
1: do, not yeah. give a fuck.
0: <laughs> and they're still a family-controlled business and makes nothing other than champagne. That's straight up all they do. And they pride themselves on quality and consistency. And they attribute that to having only three... Chefs the Caves, which is Cellar Master, a head winemaker, since 1949. Oh my god. So legit. The head of making wine, there's only been three in 70. I'm doing math in my head. I'm like, wow. 70 plus years? Yeah. It's fucking crazy. So this current generation includes sisters Alexandra, you might have to say that. Pere- per- the,
1: Pereira de Nanancourt. And Stephanie
0: Menu. (laughs) Menu de yeah. <laughs> Who continued to maintain the brand's reputation for excellence. Wow, that's so interesting. It's fascinating, really. And they really um, you know, drive all the innovation and are, are a well known brand. They're they're across the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a super famous. I mean, we went fancy for this episode. Yes. Like this is a super well known mm-hmm. champagne. I think that you know, if you're if you're going to a wine shop and you want a really nice champagne, you're never gonna go wrong if you see Laurent Perrier, whether it's the rosé or this one. I mean, world famous. Exactly.
0: And we had the rosé for Inauguration Day. That was one of my my wine picks uh, to represent female businesses to... Represent Kamala.
1: Ah, back in the day when we were still hopeful, right? Hopeful and enamored. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But so I wanted to break this down and talk about, you're like, oh, Alexa's talking about Cuvée. What is that? Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. what the fuck? Um, So I'm talking about, you know, vintages and non-vintages. So in the past episodes, you may have noticed that the wines have years on them. So 2019, 2020, whatever it may be, those are called vintage wines. And those wines are pretty much the grapes were harvested that year, and that's what you're drinking. So essentially, when you're drinking the grapes from 2019, that juice, theoretically, you're drinking what happened that year. You're drinking right. the conditions. The weather. The weather, yeah. the when harvest started, when bud breaks started. You're you're drinking those conditions, and they vary from year to year, clearly with climate change, just changes and things. So that's what you're drinking when you're drinking a vintage shopper. When you're drinking a non-vintage Cuvée, that is pretty much um, not from a particular year. They will get um, that current year, but then they blend other years into it. And I'll get more to it as I get through the explanation of this wine itself. And um, Cuvée also has another meaning, meaning um, the term can refer to first the first pressed and best juice that you get. So, But but for the most part, it's a blend, essentially. That's interesting. Is that for consistency? Yes, it oh, is. Look at me like learning. It actually is. It's so that you taste the same great champagne Every year after year. So you that's don't. That's so interesting. I mean, in champagne though, they don't really make the champagne if the year's bad. Like for vintages, if it's complete shit, they won't put it out. Right. But yes, for these, it's strictly consistency. So, Laurent Perrier style and personality are defined by a high proportion of Chardonnay. So, when you go to Champagne, what they're blending usually is Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and um, um, Meunier. So, Mm. the three grapes there. So, this one has um, over 50% of Chardonnay in it. And for blending, only the musts of the cuvee are used. So, only 80% of the grape juice is extracted from the pressing. Must is just um, the unfermented. Juice of grapes extracted by the crushing or pressing. So, only 80% of that gets in here. And for this blend, it's like I said, um, over 50% Chardonnay, about 30 to 35% of Pinot Noir, and then about 10 to 15% of Meunier. And then they have these reserve wines that are added into it. So, between 15 and 30% to ensure consistency and style. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And reserve wines are held back from previous vintages and they keep them like a system there, you know, to help for the production of non-vintages, to overcome conditions. So if that year like this year, I'm curious because in France they had a major heat wave. Heat wave. Like rivers, full rivers, (laughs) like were completely dry. Yeah. Bordeaux alone focuses on the left and right bank. Like all these these influential characteristics of these rivers, like what is that going to show up in the in the wine coming up?
1: I mean, it's also interesting when you think of a wine like this, that is its whole shtick is to remain consistent. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they tackle mm-hmm. climate change. Because when you're thinking of vintage wines, you know, there's a certain like, well, look, man, this was the weather that year. <laughs> you know, like this is what happened. This yeah. is what came out. But with this kind of consistency type of wine or champagne in this case, you know, how it, how is climate change going to affect that? We don't we don't really know, right? No. I mean, there's only certain things that you can control, exactly. but you can't really control everything when you're when it comes to no. I mean, you could fix some things afterwards, but not right. like. It's shit shit right
0: you know? <laughs> right and this uh cuvee blend is made from over 100 crews selected by the family and a crew is a term used to indicate a high quality vineyard or groups of vineyards so you'll see on bottles sometimes like um when you look at bordeaux or whatnot you'll see grew or grand crew or mm-hmm. premier crew and, mm-hmm. and that kind of gives you the designation that it's higher quality Right. And this cuvee benefits from an ideal aging of around four years in the cellar. So it's not like they make it and they give it right to you. It it sits and ages for four years. And that's kind of part of the reason why champagne is expensive too. Right. It's not just the, you know, what's in it, the notoriety. It sits. sits. I mean, it takes up space and it ages. So you're getting it four years later. And um, its balance and finesse are enhanced by a light dosage. Added to um, the champagne, so that is essentially some form of sweetness, whether it be sugar or wine, added to the champagne to balance it out a bit. Right. And now our favorite time, time to taste. I mean, we've, we we we've,
1: we've been, been tasting. We've
0: been. We've, <laughs> we've
1: been tasting. Let me pour us a bit more. Yeah. So it's, please, yeah, it's fresh. Please fresh. do not hesitate to continue to pour. This stuff is so good. So.
0: It's super, super effervescent. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, after I pour mine, I'm going
1: gonna... mean, to. I'm pretty sure the mic is picking it is. that up. I'm going to put mean, a little. It's...
0: Yeah. I hear you it. You can hear that. So you hear it. You hear, the you hear the bubbles, guys? They're tiny, fine, beautiful, effervescent, persistent bubbles. That's what we're getting mm-hmm. here. And it's a pale gold color. Yeah. It's just. It's yeah, a Very, film. very light. Yeah. And it's like, you just get like. burst of bubbles in your mouth as you taste it yeah the aroma is very delicate it's very fresh kind of like citrus white flowers
1: yeah i get a little bit of like yeah like lemongrass in there maybe Mm -hmm. and then
0: then we'll taste (laughs) but yeah it's it's like very clean palate cleansing kind of freshness to your mouth yeah lots of um Citrus, um, I'd say golden apple, mm-hmm. um, lots of, I don't know if they're stone fruit, let me go. It's very crisp. Very crisp and it's refreshing.
1: very refreshing. Very refreshing. Mm-hmm. And since it's
0: young, you're not going to get those tertiary flavors of like crazy vanilla or right. caramel or um, brioche. I mean, sometimes you get brioche, but this I don't get any. It's, it's young, it's hip, it's, yeah. it's ready to be drunk now. It's like us. It's like us. <laughs> um, and it is delish and it's best served. I, I know some people wonder, um, well, I used to wonder all the time, like what temperature should my drinks be at? Like when you're drinking yeah. wine. Yeah. And champagne is best served between 38 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. So what I like to do is I put it in the fridge and then kind of take it out when I'm about to drink it and let it kind of mellow a bit. Just because you're not going to get all of the flavors and the aromas if it's way too cold.
1: Yeah, that's, I think, a general, like, really good tip. Because I think that so many people just take wine out of their fridge. Sometimes your fridge is is set to really, really cold. Yeah, it's
0: like 30-something degrees. And you just don't get the
1: flavor. You just don't. If you let it sit for a few minutes and then you, you know, you indulge, you really, really pick up the flavors. As someone who's... Again, like learning and kind of experimenting with wine. I can say that's one of the best tips that you've given me because when something is too cold, you're just not going to get the flavor. You're just not. At all. And that's, and that's the
0: best. You could let it sit out. You could even, this is the one and only time you are able to hold a wine glass by the bowl. It's when you're warming up your wine. (laughs) That is acceptable practice. Uh, And we're going to talk now a little bit about the glassware. Like you said, The the coupe glass is shallow, broad-rimmed, and stemmed in design. It's super cute and 1920s-looking, great Gatsby. And while it is beautiful, it pretty much isn't the best way to drink champagne. Since it's open so broadly, all the aromatics come out, so you don't get any of those smells. The, The bubbles kind of, like in the flute, they're a little trapped.
1: Yeah. That's just opened
0: up too much. The bubbles just go up and they fizz out. So you don't really get that
1: effervescence. Let's make sure we post that, that Leo DiCaprio, uh, gift. Yeah. So everyone knows exactly what we're referring Very to.
0: <laughs> that open. <For laughs> I'll put it on stories, guys. I'll be <laughs> like, and if you are wondering, this is what. Yeah. This is just, it's strictly for sexiness. It's sexiness. Definitely. Or if you want to do one of those, uh, champagne towers that just mm-hmm. kind of like floats down. I've never done them. Uh, my friend did one at a wedding and it was kind of like, rah, rah because she was using I think she was using clico or something and she started using it and realized that it wasn't going to fill it all and I'm like yeah. no shit I could have told you that it's mm-hmm. a 750 50 milliliter bottle it's not gonna of course they not. did two and it was like halfway and then they just like straight up like grabbed a couple and then the Prosecco I'm like
1: oh I'm like no i hope your friend doesn't listen to our podcast i don't think so she's a republican oh definitely not um. <laughs> she's a republican who, who doesn't know how to put together a nice uh, champagne tower. tower so many things I going died. against her i died when i saw that um and then of course
0: you have the traditional flutes which everyone knows to toast with they're tall and narrow which helps keeps the bubbles going so it's nice because you still get the effervescence and stuff but you can't really properly taste the wine in that way. Like, cause the whole thing is like, you sniff it, you look at it, you yeah. this. So, so you're missing some of um, the aromas. They're trapped like too tightly in there. So you don't get them all. And then the tulip glasses, which we have today. I, I kind of like the tulips like for, for fresh wine like this. Yeah. Um, so they look like flutes, but they have a narrow top and a wider bowl. So the curve that leads down the stem and this helps trap some of the aroma inside the bowl, even though it's kind of flute wise, but no, it it traps it in. So you don't, have their aromas coming out too much. So, yeah. It helps with that. I mean, and then of course, some people, some wine people like white wine glasses for tastings or for vintage, like really old vintage champagnes, just so they could like get their fucking nose in there and sniff better. And I get it. I mean, I do that sometimes we, too. We, we did that. We did that when yeah. you
1: brought me the amazing yes. bottle of Dom Perignon from 1990, my birth year. Yes. Uh, I believe, oh, we were at a restaurant and mm-hmm. they brought us flutes. I want that and shit. you said, <laughs> no, no, no no, no, no. Can you please bring me a regular white wine glass? Yes. And then that's when you explain it to me, not in as much detail as I'm understanding now, but <laughs> you, you were saying, you know, like this is a wine that it's worth really having the opportunity to really smell it, to really yes. get a sense of how it's aged yes. in those 31 beautiful years. <laughs> the best year. The best year. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think that, um, like the the whole thing about glassware is something that I don't think people really know a lot about. So no. I think people are going to find this really, really helpful. Yeah.
0: Glassware makes a difference. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, some people are going like,
0: oh, to be snooty with your glassware, but it does make a difference. Now I'm not the one that's like, I need the Zalto glasses that are $50 a glass and I can't drink anything else than that. No, I'm not like that. But if I'm going to drink a nice champagne, I want either a tulip or a white wine glass.
1: Yeah, get the whole experience, right? It's not hard to get the whole experience if you just choose the right glass. Don't
0: cheat yourself.
1: Yeah. Like enjoy it
0: all to the fullest. Don't fucking put your champagne in a solo cup like come on.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Like, no, no, we're better we were would better. never do such a thing. We are better than that. We're better than that.
0: So we always talk about food pairings and I yes. have, I of course was thinking crawfish, crawfish, yeah. the marsh. So like I like doing sometimes crawfish boils even though I've like seen. I have nothing no background of that or whatever. I just think it's fun. And cool. So, That's some white people should have that. It is totally white people <laughs> <laughs> in the bayou. <laughs> but yeah, and they sold them at Publix frozen. So, we get the crawfish. We get like my dad's deep fryer for the turkey for Thanksgiving. And we just pour water, and, and the crawfish, and corn, and potatoes, and like a shit ton of Old Bay seasoning. And sausages and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just so delicious and juicy. And you just like bite the little heads off. And
1: it's delicious. It's I so talk good. shit and I say it's white people shit, but it's fucking delicious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. So, I, like, the crawfish are. Spicy, well seasoned and juicy. So I think champagne would be an amazing palate cleanser for that. Totally. And kind of, and since we are in the south and in this in the storyline, I was thinking also, like, why not have some fried chicken or mac and cheese with it? Yeah. Kind of and champagne is also amazing because it breaks through that that oil and fat and grease and just yes. stands up to it. So it's an amazing pairing with that,
1: too. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I could totally see that. And for people who are thinking, <laughs> you know, oh champagne is kind of fancy though, and then you're having this like food that's like maybe not so fancy, like you mentioned, yeah, you know, fried chicken and stuff. Like that's not really the way to think of it. No. Right? I think all. I think that you you did a really good job of kind of teaching me that is that it's not really to. It's not really wise to think of champagne as just like a fancy thing. Yeah. It's wise to think of it as an, as an experience in and of itself and how you can pair that experience with certain foods. And that's exactly. it. Because people do tend to think, oh, champagne is expensive. It's fancy. I should really only be having it with like expensive or fancy meals. That's not really the case at no, all.
0: No, at all. No, I've had some like,
1: <laughs> and
0: some people might yell at me for this. Like I've had some bomb ass old premier crew Bordeaux like from the 90s with pizza
1: yeah (laughs) that's fine that's fine I think as long as the pairing works right as long as like the flavors are kind of like doing their thing and it gives you the opportunity to like really let one shine as you're as you're drinking and eating I think that's that's the experience I wanted to touch on that because I I want people to stop thinking of champagne as this thing that needs to be only reserved for certain fancy meals or for certain fancy moments, because I think that first of all, A, we should be indulging on a regular basis. Exactly. There's no such thing as a special occasion. Every day is a special occasion. Yes. Have your fucking champagne. And B, agreed. just think of it as an experience, certain flavors that work well with certain foods, and then, and that's it. It doesn't have to be expensive. No, agreed.
0: I love it. With french fries. Yes. With, I mean, there's so, the possibilities are endless here. So, you could find this wine at most retailers um, anywhere from 50 to 65 $70. I think at Publix with tax, it was seventy bucks, but it's great, and I think it's delicious. Obviously, this isn't a wine you're gonna drink every night, but right. you can treat yourself whenever you want a little fizz in your life. Like yeah. go for it, and and I thought you know I wanted to toast to the main character Kaya and. You know how she came out in the end and and persevered and kicked ass and and fucked it and, and killed the man. And murdered a son. <laughs> murdered of a, a bitch. Son of a bitch.
1: <laughs> and you know what's funny is that like when, when we were having the conversation about figuring out which wine to pair with this, I was like, look, I really have no, I'm not I'm not of any help here, right? Because I I know that there's no like wine in North Carolina, but I don't really know enough <laughs> to like make any sort of definitive statement. But I will say this. I didn't know what a crawdad was. I didn't know that it's a crawfish. I was yes. like, I know what a crawfish is, but I had to Google what a crawdad is, and I was like, why are there so many names for this same fucking thing? So know. then, once when you were like, okay, no, I'm like yeah, we can pair it with like crawfish, I was like, oh, oh, okay, and then like things <laughs> made sense. But I was like, what the hell? And the then crawdads. <laughs> and then last note, I just want to mention that where the crawdad saying is something, it's it's a quote that like kaya and tate sort of bonded over right it was something that tate had said something about, like, like that yeah. it was, so it was very sweet so the title also has this like really nice kind of meaning to it and when you read the book you'll you'll also catch that yes yeah
0: so this is a great conversation i hope if you guys stuck through i'm sure you read it or, or watched it and and could relate to our conversation if you you didn't stick through um i hope that this inspired the parts and bits that you got inspires you to now read the book or watch the movie yeah and engage with us um we i don't know if you guys saw but we launched some awesome merch on our etsy shop for abortion rights and um, some t-shirts some totes some notebooks um and like always subscribe to our newsletter follow us on our instagram linked in the episode notes and, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And just review us, uh, subscribe, like it. And, yeah, cheers to another amazing episode. Thank you episode.
1: all so much. Yay, cheers. You